Well, I appreciate the invitation to come and to open God's Word with you uh, today. It's a pretty straight shot for me to get here, if the signage was correct. Somewhere in Washington, the uh, road, I was supposed to take a right-hand turn, the sign wasn't there, and I kept on going. When I hit Washington, D.C., I turned around and came back and still arrived on time. My name is Rick Wooling. I'm the pastor emeritus of the Beverly Heights Presbyterian Church in Mount Lebanon, PA, the uh, South Hills of, uh, of Pittsburgh, uh, where I was the senior pastor for 33 years. Prior to that, I was a pastor for eight years uh, in Seminole, Oklahoma, a small oil field town. And uh, prior to that, I was two years um, as an assistant pastor on Long Island, New York, which is where I was born and raised. And uh, from there, then I went to, uh, to Boston to, uh, to college and to graduate school. That's a great privilege for me to come and to share with you the Word of God this morning and also uh, next week. This morning from First Peter chapter 1, and then next week from First Peter chapter 2. So I invite you to hear the reading of God's Word from our scripture text this morning, First Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 9. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen Him, you love Him. Though you do not now see Him, you believe in Him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. Let us pray. Gracious God and loving Heavenly Father, we thank you for your gathering us together in this place. By your Spirit, you have called us from our beds this morning, and you have filled us with a joy and an anticipation of gathering together as the body of Christ in this place and worshiping you. We thank you for your presence with us this morning. And as we uh, turn now to your word, we pray, Lord, that you will speak to us, that you will instruct us, that you will encourage us, that you will fill us with the true hope that we have spoken of by the Apostle Peter, the hope that comes only through your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. 
When your pastor invited me a number of weeks ago to come and uh, to preach these two weeks while he's away, he very quickly gave me an out. He said, I'd love for you to come and preach, but if because of the virus you don't want to expand the places where you're attending, I certainly understand that. Well, it's not going to take, it's going to take something a lot stronger than a virus to keep me from preaching. And so I'm delighted to be with you this morning. But this situation has really caused many changes in our lives, hasn't it? And certainly in how we do church. And there's so many questions that are asked by all of us each and every day, but they all seem to have a single rejoinder. Will I avoid catching the virus? And what do we say? I hope so. If I get the virus, will I get better? I hope so. If I'm out of work, will I be called back? I hope so. Until I'm called back, will I have enough money to survive? I hope so. Will my family and friends be spared the virus? I hope so. Will our kids be going back to school in a few weeks? And all the parents shout, I hope so. Will things ever get back to the way they used to be? I hope so. We all express a desire for some hope, particularly in challenging, trying, difficult circumstances. In my 47 years of pastoral ministry, the question most often asked me as I counseled with people through the years was this. Is there any hope for me? Given the situation with my finances, in my marriage, in my job situation, the situation in our church, in our family, in our country, in our world. Is there any hope for me? Perhaps one of you is asking that question this morning. Is there any hope for me? <coughs> Billy Graham is uh, quoted as saying, quote, perhaps the greatest psychological spiritual, and medical need that all people have is the need for hope. What is hope? We use that word a lot. We say, I hope so, quite often. But what is hope? What is it that we're looking for, that people are longing for in the midst of this pandemic but long before and long after the pandemic is here and gone. What is hope? 
Well, I suggest to you that to most of your friends and family members, and sad to say, so many people in the church, hope is a longing. It is a wish. What we often say, a hope against hope in the face of troubling circumstances. It's a hope that things will go well for me in some way that things will eventually get better. I hope so. Question mark. Maybe they will. Maybe they won't. That's a rather vague and a rambling definition, but I think vague and rambling is very much the character of what people embrace today as hope. We hear the daily news about COVID-19 and we say, we just have to have hope. We hear that businesses are being shut down and maybe shut down for good and we say, well, we just have to have hope. We hear of the rising death tolls and we say, we've got to have hope. <coughs> we mourn the loss of a national leader. And we say, we must have hope. We approach this time when America's electorate will gather together and vote to determine the course of the leadership of our nation. And we say, we must have hope. We get tests and medical evaluations. We receive reports from our doctors that are something less than we had hoped for. And we say we have to have hope. But for too many people, that hope that they possess is nothing more than a baseless, self-willed determination to be positive, optimistic, encouraged, a personal mission to stay upbeat and possess a positive mental attitude. That's what hope is in their mind. But what is the foundation of this hope that people speak of? Well, in my judgment, this hope is founded upon a confidence that other people will show up and help us. Or it's a confidence in institutions, in companies, in employers. It's a confidence in the performance of the stock market. This hope is founded upon governments and the strength of armies. In this COVID craziness, how often have we heard we need to follow the science? Our hope is in knowledge and science. Or it's based upon the innate goodness of humankind, except that's a myth. Or our hope is founded upon the ceaseless march of human progress throughout the endless perpetuation of time. 
This is what passes for hope in the world today. And friends, this is no hope at all. It is bankruptcy. It's illusion. It is ground which is sinking sand. It is a Pollyanna view of the world that has no real basis upon which to uphold the fantasy that every day in every way things are getting better and better. Are they? We hope so. This is nothing to build our lives on. And this is nothing that we want to pass on to our children and to our grandchildren. Well, in our scripture text for this morning, the opening words of Peter's first epistle to the churches of the dispersion of Bithynia and Pontus and Galatia. Christians that were spread out all over the Roman Empire, he writes to them. And the first thing he speaks of is hope. These are believers that need hope. We can't quite pinpoint the particulars of the difficulties that these churches were facing, but they know that they were real. Later on, in the same epistle, Peter says to them, don't be surprised by the fiery ordeal that you are facing. Many biblical commentators and theologians believe that the references to the reign of the crazy man Nero, who in Rome hated Christians so much that he strapped Christians to poles and set them afire so that he could walk through his gardens at night and enjoy the flowers. We're not quite sure what they were experiencing, but we know they, they were experiencing challenging, difficult times, and the sense of things is that though it was bad, it was going to get worse. And so to them, Peter writes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. By His great mercy we have been born anew to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. This is a reference, friends, to real hope. Hope that is provided by God through the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ and proclaimed to us through His Word. What is real hope? The real hope that Christ provides. The hope that sustains us each and every day. Not only through good times, but through bad times. Well, here's my shot at it. Here's my definition of hope. Hope is a peace, and it is a confidence. It is a sense of well-being that proceeds from knowing that the ultimate issue of life and the ultimate issue of death is settled for me 
by Jesus Christ. And that I face all other questions, all other circumstances, all other issues in life with the very real love, mercy, grace, and power of God which is demonstrated by my Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, on the cross and at the empty tomb. Simplified, hope is confidence in the present regardless of the circumstances, financial, familial, medical, pandemic or no. Hope is a confidence in the present time with the perspective of what lies ahead for me in the future because of what Christ has done for me in the past. All three perspectives, present realities, past accomplishments for me by Christ on the cross and at the empty tomb with a view toward what lies ahead for me. Which is what the Apostle Peter was talking about. An inheritance that awaits me. Some, if not all of you, may be familiar with the name James I. Packer. Packer was perhaps, in our lifetime, one of the greatest evangelical theologians. A Brit who spent a lot of his life living up in Canada and uh, preaching and uh, teaching at uh, Regent College. He died last Friday at the age of 94. A glorious saint of God. Well, Packer compares and contrasts the world's view of hope with Christian hope. He says, optimism hopes for the best without any guarantee of its arriving, and it is often no more than whistling in the dark. Isn't that how you describe many individuals who, in a particular situation, their retort is, I hope so? They're whistling in the dark. If they're depending upon other people, or science, or knowledge, or governments, or armies. I'm reminded of Charles Coulson, the founder of Prism Fellowship, former advisor to President Nixon. He was known as uh, Nixon's hatchet man, as you probably know. He was standing on the tarmac once. He was waiting for Ronald Reagan to arrive at the airport, and as Air Force One made its way to where, on the tarmac, where he was going to, uh, Reagan was going to be met, Colson turned to a friend, and he said, remember this, the kingdom of God never arrived on Air Force One. Optimism hopes for the best without any guarantee of its arriving and is often no more than whistling in the dark, said Packer. Christian hope, by contrast, is faith looking ahead to the fulfillment of the promises of God. 
Even as God promised Jesus Christ would come and die and rise again, so he has promised that Jesus is coming again. And that there's a glorious inheritance that is waiting for us. Christian hope, by contrast, is faith looking ahead to the fulfillment of the promises of God. Our hope is built on Jesus Christ. It is built upon the veracity of God's Word. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. That's the foundation of our hope. Optimism is a wish said Packer, without a warrant. Christian hope is a certainty guaranteed by God Himself. Optimism reflects ignorance as to whether good things will ever actually come. When someone says, well, I hope so, they don't know. We don't know. It's a matter of speaking. It's a way of wishing, but it's whistling in the dark. Christian hope expresses knowledge that every day of his life and every moment beyond it, the believer can say with truth on the basis of God's own commitment that the best is yet to come. That's not whistling in the dark. That's taking Almighty God at His word. For years I have said this to my congregation in Mount Lebanon, and I would share it with you. Christian hope has punctuation. But it is not a question mark. I hope so. Christian hope is punctuated with an exclamation point. I know so. You're perhaps familiar with the Heidelberg Catechism, one of the great documents coming out of the Protestant Reformation. Now, we in the EPC, we subscribe to the Westminster Confession of Faith. And I realize that I'm in the pulpit of the chairman of the ministerial committee of our presbytery, so if you tell him that what I'm about to say is what I've said, I'll call you a liar and I'll deny it. But Westminster's not my favorite. It's Heidelberg. And how does Heidelberg Catechism begin? It begins with this question. What is your only comfort and hope in life and in death. What is it? And listen to this glorious answer. That I am not my own, but belong with body and soul, both in life and in death, to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He has fully paid for all my sins with His precious blood, and has set me free from all the power of the devil. He also preserves me in such a way that without the will of my Heavenly Father, not a hair can fall from my head. I might say, in my case, it's becoming easier for my Heavenly Father. Indeed, all things must work together for my salvation. Therefore, by His Holy Spirit, 
he also assures me of eternal life and makes me heartily willing and ready from now on to live for him. Is that not the most wonderful statement of hope that one can read? And so the Apostle Peter says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. By His great mercy, we have been born anew to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Hope is a confident sense of well-being and peace, particularly in times of distress, which is based upon what Christ has done for me on the cross in the past, and it guarantees me a glorious future. What is my only hope in life and in death? How does the world, the world that does not believe in the gospel, that mocks the gospel, and those who embrace the gospel, how do they answer what is my only hope in life and death? Well, with regard to their hope in life, their answer is, well, I just don't think about it. Or good luck will come my way. Or I'll make the right connections with people. I'll leverage my resources and I'll be content in life. Diet and exercise will lead to a happy and hopeful life. I'll expand my horizons by being a lifelong learner. I'll be a solid citizen who contributes to my community. That's where my hope is in life. And what is my hope in death? Again. Well, I don't think about it. Or I'm a good person. I've lived a good life. I'm perfect. I've never killed anybody. Pay my taxes. I've tried to be honest. My comfort in death is that God loves everybody. That judgment, hell, accountability are antithetical to my God, the great Gumby God, who I shape the way I want him to look. My hope in death is that I'll just close my eyes and go to sleep and I just won't wake up. What is your only hope in death? Well, there's nothing I can do about it, so I don't worry about it. I'm comfortable with where I am. This is not hope, friends. This is quicksand. It cannot sustain us in life. It cannot sustain us in death. The hope that is ours in Jesus Christ is a confident sense of well-being regardless of what we are experiencing right now because we know what's coming forward based upon what Christ has done for me in the past. 
It allows me to go through every life circumstance, not with a question mark, oh, I hope so, but with an exclamation point that exchanges the word hope for no. I know so. So then you say, well, okay. I buy that. But what about for right now, this moment, today? I need something now to hang on to. Besides looking forward to what's coming up. I would suggest to you the following. Number one, the knowledge that God is sovereign. Number two, that God is in control. He knows what He's doing. Number three, God is acting in accord with a plan. It's His plan and it's perfect. Number four, we can say even that we have joy even in our trials and in our sufferings. This is what First Peter is teaching us. This is what James chapter 1 is teaching us. And it's worth underscoring what joy really is. Joy is not happiness. Joy is not giddiness. Joy is a calm gladness. Often, but not always, accompanied by a sense of happiness and euphoria. And it's that sense of things that comes in the knowledge that God's plan is being worked out in my life. Wonderful study to do in the Scriptures is to study the use of joy throughout the Scriptures. And most significantly, it has to do with the wonder that the eternal God is working out His plan in my life. And that if God is sovereign, and God is in control, and God is omnipotent, and God is loving and merciful, even then the particular difficult circumstances in which we find ourselves. First Peter, James chapter 1, where James says, count it all joy, even when you experience difficulties and trials in life. It's the wonder that God's plan is being worked out. That what I'm experiencing right now, in my marriage, in my family, in my business, in my body, God knows what He's doing. He is sovereign. He is acting according to plan. And I can embrace that knowing that God's plans are being worked out in my life and that at the end of it all there is that internal inheritance that God has prepared for me in Jesus Christ. And this is not something about which I say, oh, I hope so. But it's something of which I say, I know. Let us pray.
We do thank You and praise You, O Lord, for this glorious hope that is ours in Christ, that is not in question, but that is guaranteed. So that when we say, I hope so, we're really saying, I know so. Because our hope is founded on what Christ has done in the past. It is founded upon who you are and what you have promised us. And it is founded what has been accomplished for us already. And it is founded upon what we have awaiting us when Jesus comes again. So, Lord, we pray that that hope will sustain us in all situations. And when the situations are not difficult, then, Lord, we pray that we might not only cling to this hope, but, but that we might celebrate it in joy and in worship and in a life dedicated to the one who gave himself for us that we might indeed have this hope. We pray this in His name, that is Jesus Christ. Amen.